Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. Well, if all you heard during that 38-second clip was static, uh, you're not losing your mind. Uh, You're not losing your hearing. Uh, As we have already been reminded this morning over the last several weeks, we've been involved in a series called The Rest of the Story, in which we have primarily focused on episodes in the life of the Apostle Peter on Mother's Day, episodes in the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus. But in addition to that, we've also had the wonderful privilege of hearing from uh, several of our brothers and sisters at Monterey who have shared uh, different pieces of their story, different pieces of their journey of faith. And I pray what we have learned during the series is with both, Uh, with stories from Peter and Mary's life, as well as stories from folks at Monterey, what we have learned, what we've been reminded of is that this journey of faith includes both mountaintop experiences and valleys of despair. Uh, Mountaintops where we have experienced incredible moments, perhaps moments where our faith has been strong and resilient. And then those valleys where life comes crashing down upon us, the despair and the heartache that comes when we face moments over which we have no control, the death of a loved one, the diagnosis of cancer, and then even those moments that are valleys we've created ourselves because of poor choices, because of our sins and mistakes and failures. And yet again, my prayer through all of this is we have been reminded that God is present in all of those moments, that no matter what the particular moment is, mountaintop or valley, God is still there writing and rewriting the story of our lives. A reminder that there is always another chapter to the story. We actually began this series the Sunday after Easter, reminding ourselves of the power of Easter, but also reminding ourselves that Easter is not the end of the story. Yes, the resurrection of Jesus, when we place our trust there, the resurrection of Jesus brings us forgiveness, brings us salvation. And so we even talk about the powerful imagery of baptism, just like the baptism we just witnessed, the powerful image of being buried with Christ, but also being raised with Christ. The resurrection power to bring forgiveness, to bring salvation. But it's also a recognition that salvation is not the end of the story. It is a means to an end. The rest of the story continues to play out. The resurrection of Jesus brings hope for the rest of the journey. But I want you to hear me carefully again. It is a recognition that the rest of the story includes both those mountaintop experiences and those valleys, sometimes potholes that are so deep in the road that we travel. And yet in all of that, I pray that we lean into the hope that the resurrection of Jesus brings to recognize again that this particular moment is not the end of the story. And so if you've been here throughout the series, the little audio clips that you have heard each Sunday morning have been words from folks that we interviewed later in the assembly. Uh, Brothers and sisters of ours who have been so honest and vulnerable and transparent to share tough moments in their lives, but each of those clips, if you remember, 
also close with one of those individuals saying, but that's not the rest of the story. And so we claim the presence and the power and the transforming work of God in our lives. And so this morning, you simply heard static, just static, because today I am interviewing each of you. I don't know where you are this morning in your journey of faith. Maybe you are on a mountaintop right now, and if so, we praise God. But the truth is, all of us also face moments of chaos and crisis and heartache in our lives, moments that are filled with static. But may I say again, that is not the rest of the story. The rest of the story is that God is still at work. God is still calling us, and hear me carefully, God still has a mission for each one of us. And to remind us of that, I want to take us back to the story of Peter one more time. There are obviously moments and chapters in Peter's life that come after the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the book of Acts in particular, the letters that Peter himself will write. But this morning, I want us to put bookends on Peter's story as we read his story in the four Gospels. And so, first bookend. Last Sunday, I referenced those moments when we are first introduced to Jesus and Peter together. And we talked about first impressions. What do you think Peter's first impression of Jesus was when he met him? Uh, For example, we looked at the story in John chapter 1 where Andrew, uh, Simon Peter's brother, brings Simon to Jesus and says, Peter, we have found the Messiah. Uh, Jesus looks at him and says, Simon, You will no longer be called Simon. From this point forward, you will be called Cephas, which when translated into the Greek language is Peter, the changing of his name. And even though I'm confident Peter did not grasp the significance of it at that moment, that was one of those moments that changed the rest of the story in Peter's life. We looked at that moment in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus goes to Simon's house and heals his mother-in-law. Uh, That's our first introduction to Jesus and Peter together in Luke's gospel. And then the story that immediately follows that. One of the most remarkable stories in the gospel of Luke. I read that text last Sunday morning, Luke 5, 1 through 11. It's all about Peter and it's all about fishing. Today, let me invite you to turn your attention to the screens and watch a dramatized version of that encounter between Jesus and Peter. Put that down for a catch. A little farther out. Uh, I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. But we've been doing this all night. Nothing. All right, that's your word. (sighs) 
My brother and the baptizer. <laughs> you are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long, we believe. But my faith, how sorry. Lift up your head, fisherman. <laughs> what do you want from me? Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. as well. Yes, you, James and John, come, follow me. I'll take the fish to the market and settle up Simon's death. I'll get some help to fill both of these boats. Are you sure? Yes, go. What will you tell Ima? <laughs> We've just been called by the man we prayed for our entire lives. And you ask me, what will I say when you miss supper? <laughs> go, now. Peter and James and John, professional fishermen who have fished all night and caught nothing. And now they have caught so many fish that their nets begin to break and their boats begin to sink. 
First blush, I think if I were in Peter's shoes, I would have said to Jesus, why don't you go fishing with us every day? What we see, however, is Peter on his knees, confessing that he is a sinful man, telling Jesus to go away from him, and, and, and then Jesus looking at Peter and saying, don't be afraid. I want you to follow me. And Peter, by the way, I have a mission for you. Follow me, and I will make you a fisher of people. As we watch Peter's story unfold in the Gospels, he does follow Jesus. He listens to Jesus teach. He watches Jesus perform miracles. Jesus heals those who are sick. He casts out demons. He cures people of leprosy. He gives sight to the blind. He even raises the dead. We watch Peter when his faith is bold and strong. That moment when he walks on the water. That moment when he confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. But we also watch Peter when he struggles in his faith. Yes, he walks on the water, but in the very next moment, he is sinking beneath the wind and the waves. We hear Peter telling Jesus that he will follow him even to the point of death and then denying that he even knows Jesus. And yet through all of those moments, please hear me again, through all of those moments, there is another chapter in the story. Ultimately, in the gospel accounts, we come to the resurrection. And obviously, the resurrection changes everything. Hopelessness has been conquered. Fear turns into boldness. And so we will hear Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 boldly declaring the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But again, I want you to hear me carefully. Even after the resurrection, Peter has his moments. And even after the resurrection, you and I have our moments as well. And so let me put the other bookend on Peter's story in the Gospels this morning. Let me take you to the last story we have of Peter and Jesus together from the Gospel of John. In fact, when you place the four Gospels side by side, there are several resurrection appearances. But in the Gospel of John, there are three specific resurrection appearances where Jesus appears to his disciples as a group. And so reading from John chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. I love the words of a storyteller. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. Now, need to pause there. want you to hear me clearly. When you read the overall context, I don't think it's a matter of Peter saying, hey, how about if we go fishing for the day? I think Peter is saying, I'm going back to fishing. I'm going back to what I know best. I'm going back to what is comfortable with me. Even though he has experienced the resurrection, there are still so many unanswered questions about the future. I'm going back to what I know best. And I wonder how many of us have done the same. In the midst of the fears and uncertainties 
in the midst of the valleys we walk through, perhaps even in those moments when we contemplate the demands of discipleship, maybe it's at that moment that the temptation is to go back to what we know best, to go back to what is comfortable rather than trusting God to write the rest of the story. And so the text says they went out. They got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Sound familiar? Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Sound familiar? And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. And so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. There's so many parallels between this story and the story in Luke chapter 5. Peter and his companions have fished all night, and they have caught nothing. In Luke 5, Jesus tells them, push your boat out into the deep waters and let down your nets for a catch. In this story, throw your nets on the right side of the boat. And in both instances, nets that are filled with fish, boats that are filled with fish. But I want us to keep reading. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Hit the pause button again. I don't know how you have understood this text through the years. Do you love me more than these, more than the other disciples? Or is Jesus potentially saying to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than the fish and the boats and the life that you once knew? Peter, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So many directions we could go. Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And the text says Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him three times, maybe reminding Peter of that moment in the courtyard when he denied three times that he knew Jesus, that he was a follower of Jesus. Maybe because of the words that Jesus uses in the conversation. 
Now, you don't necessarily see this in English translations, but I would assume that most of you are aware that in the, English, or in the Greek language, there are a couple of words in, in the Greek New Testament that are translated love in English. One is the word agape, one is the word philia, both incredible words. But a bit of a distinction, agape, that deep, unconditional love. I'll love you no matter what. Philia, brotherly love, affection. Again, both really, really good words, but a bit of a distinction between the two. And in the conversation, both words show up. Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love me, but Peter uses the word philia. Peter, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And again, Peter uses the word philia. A third time, Peter, do you love me? But this time Jesus changes the word to philia. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Philia. I don't want to make too much of the words, but I do want you to be aware that that factors into the conversation in my judgment. But here's the piece that I want you to see more than anything else. It is Jesus telling Peter, Peter, I have a mission for you. I still have a mission for you. In spite of the valleys that you have walked through, in spite of the uncertainties and the fear that the future holds for all of you, I still have a mission for you. Feed my sheep. Take care of my, of my lambs. Luke chapter 5, you're going to be a fisherman of people. And in John 21, it is still all about people. It is all about relationships, loving people, reaching out to people, partnering with God in this incredible ministry of reconciliation. Peter, I have a mission for you. And church, he has a mission for us, for you, for me. But there's also one other piece of the story that I want us to catch. Because you see, we may be tempted, just like Peter was, to put our focus somewhere else. So hear the rest of the text. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the other disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Lord, what about him? Peter, I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about you. I want you to follow me. I have a mission for you. Peter, do you love me? I wonder how uncomfortable you might be this morning if I walked up to you, microphone in hand, and said, Carl, do you love Jesus? I do. Are you sure about that? Do you really love Jesus? To the best of my abilities, yes. Or if I walked up to Natalie and said, Natalie, 
do you love Jesus? Absolutely. I mean, really, do you really, really love Jesus? Absolutely. How uncomfortable would it make any of us if Jesus were here today and he walked up to us and said, do you love me? Oh, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Barry, do you really love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my lambs. Build relationships with people. Love people. Forget about all of the other things that distract you. Don't go back to the things that make you most comfortable. Do you love me? And you see, the reality is, just like with Peter, Jesus, God, is still writing and rewriting our stories. You may not know what the next page holds because God is the one doing the writing and the rewriting. But my guess is that every one of us knows a next step that we need to take. My guess is every one of us knows the kind of commitment we need to bring to that mission that maybe we're not bringing. And it's Jesus asking, do you love me? I'm interviewing you today. When you came in, you found some note cards on your chairs. Go ahead and bring up the next slide, if you will. Same words, but the rest of the story, dot, 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 for your life and for my life. We're going to take two minutes of just quiet, silent time. I'm going to invite you to write, what, what is the next step in your journey? What is God calling you to do next? You may know precisely what you need to write down this morning. It may be one of those areas where you need to take a card with you and pray over it for the next several days. But I encourage you to write on the card and to take it with you. Carry it in your billfold. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Maybe give it to somebody who is close to you who can help hold you accountable. But what is? What is the rest of the story? Two minutes. Let's be quiet in the presence of our God.
God, we thank you for being our God. We thank you for your story, the story of you relentlessly pursuing us. Your presence, your power, you're present in every moment, mountaintops and valleys, and we're grateful. And God, today we thank you not only for inviting us into your story, but we thank you for the privilege of partnering with you, of giving us a mission. And so whatever that next step looks like for every one of us in this room today, would you give us the faith and the courage to lean into the hope that the resurrection brings? And we will give you the honor and the praise forever. In the name of Jesus invite you to stand as we sing.